we start today's episode, just to let you know, you can now nominate for the 2025 Northern Power Women Awards. To be in with a chance of celebrating with changemakers, trailblazers and advocates on the 6th of March 2025. Nominate now at wearepower.net. Women podcast for your career and your life, no matter what business you're in. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Northern Power Women podcast. I'm your host, Simone Roche, and this is the We Are More season. And what is the We Are More season? The We Are More season is all about chatting to our winners, our commended on our partners of the Northern Power Women Awards that we held earlier this year. And for me, it's been absolutely amazing to catch up with these fantastic individuals, to hear about their stories, to hear about what they've been doing since the awards and what what they are continuing to drive change and accelerating uh, equality and furnace from the north. So it's a massive deal for me and I'm loving this series. And we've had another record-breaking awards nomination period with over 1,500 uh, nominations. And we've also got this growing pay-it-forward community where we've got individuals and organisations out there that are supporting more people to attend uh, next year as well, which is great because the more that we can celebrate and share and showcase is fantastic. And we're also on the lookout for mentors. We've been growing our Power Collective Power Up Sessions, which are our one-hour virtual micro-mentoring work, gives you one hour of your time over a lunchtime for a comfort of your own desk to just have a chat with people at the start of their career. So hence, there's the reason why we are more. And someone who is more is the winner of our One to Watch Award this year, the amazing uh, Debbie Rogers. And it's been so fantastic. We've just been chatting uh, up front and I've loved watching all the success that is, or, or recognition, shall I say, that is coming your way. Multi-award winning. Debbie is the the founder of Sean's Place, which was set up um, after the, the death of her brother. Um, we're going to get right into the conversation um, because this will tell the story of who and why Debbie is. So welcome to the podcast, Debbie. Oh, hiya. Thank you so much for having us on. I've listened to past shows, so it's, um, it's lovely to be asked to be on. <laughs> oh, well, you know, we talk a lot about purpose and how important it is when you're starting an organisation, but tell me about where your story is and Sean's story. So, Sean was my brother and um, he sadly took his life three years ago, but he wasn't always so unwell that there, there was no option for him. He started with anxiety and depression and, you know, things that a lot of us live with, but, you know, have healthy, happy lives. But for Sean and for many men out there, there was a huge gap in his support. So he had a lot of medication, a lot of therapy, but really it was that connectiveness, that sort of positivity to his day, that reason for living, you know, that them connections with, with people. A lot of people assume that men won't come to places like that or that men don't need spaces like that. But I always knew for Sean that's exactly what he needed. And when Sean died, it was very evident that had that have been a part of his life, he may never have got as unwell as he did. So um, I think it's about six weeks after Sean passed away, I was getting messages from loads of other people saying, my uncle, you know, was exactly the same or, you know, this was happening to my brother. And, you know, if he'd had somewhere to go, this would never have happened. So I knew that we weren't alone in this and that 
you know, there was still this huge gap and I didn't want anybody else to feel they had no option but to end the life. So I began to build Sean's place and here we are today, three years later. So tell me about Sean. What was he like? Oh, Sean was just incredible. We used to call him like our fourth child because he was just so full of energy. He was a bit cheeky. I've got three kids and they were almost like his brothers and sisters. He loved them that much and they'd be hanging off the ceiling every time he come down. Towards the end of his life, he, you know, he sadly become very unwell. But it's nice to be able to remember how Sean was before then. I Sean walked me down the aisle on my wedding day. He was there at my graduation just a week before he died. He was such an important person in my life. And I just wish he, he knew that or I hope that he did know that. But um, yeah. And I know this would never have been something that you would have ever wanted to do is to set up Sean's place because obviously it came at the loss of your brother. Um, how much do you draw on that that Sean that that uh, you know adopted child almost as you you say how much you do you do you draw on that and on that purpose when things must get tough yeah I think it's really important to remember why Sean's place existed um it's really difficult to run an organization like Sean's place you can get caught up in the bureaucracy of it and you know the the day-to-day aspects of it but there's a person behind all of this and there's there's families that you know were behind every man that walks through the door and we have to really remember that there's so many people impacted like when Sean died it was just so difficult like it was grief like no other there's so many unanswered questions there was a lot of frustration and anger there towards almost like the systems that I felt let him down and I have to put myself back in that position sometimes and remember where that pain came from to keep driving Sean's place forward to make sure that men don't have to worry about getting support anymore it's there it's free and it's immediate and we can save lives that way and how many men do you support across Merseyside um at the moment it's around 150 a week that come through our doors and we also support the families as well um so for every man who comes through the door we've got about four members of the family also come to our family support group when we first started we had about three or four a week coming but I think people are starting to trust now that these places do work and that it's okay to come to places like this and they can help and it's massively preventing you know people being put on endless waiting lists or you know turning to medication um, because the support's there when they actually need it. And you talked about grief a lot and, and the struggle to to deal with grief and many people keep that grief um, private. Many people will, you know, not want to talk about it because they, you know, th- they feel like it's something they have to keep them to themselves. And and equally, you know, in company, people don't you, you always know how to deal with that and, and and be part of that conversation about grief. How did how did that grief a- affect you? Because you talked about the fact that people were coming to you only six weeks after Sean's tragic death, and all of a sudden you're trying to. How did you deal with that grief and start thinking about or I can do something good here it was really it was the most traumatic time of of my life I think everyone copes with grief completely differently no no one person will cope the same when they lose a loved one in it you know through, through any sort of means it was a terrifying time so I've got three beautiful children I've got a lovely husband you know I've got a lovely life and for the first time in my life I wasn't afraid of dying anymore because I just wanted to be with my brother and it was a terrifying thought but when I opened Sean's place um, and we looked at the statistics around this, 
there's a huge risk of people who go on to take their own lives following the death of a loved one to suicide and it's not spoken about enough those people are really vulnerable in that moment there's a lot of pain a lot of anger a lot of unanswered questions and there needs to be more support around that I wish that I would have had the support at that time that I really needed but instead I had to sort of you know, self-medicate, I suppose, which is at Sean's place became that medication for me. It was my sort of distraction, my purpose. Um, it got me through some a time that I didn't think I'd be able to get through again. Um, my family fell apart quite massively. I, everyone was blaming themselves, you know, wished that they just spotted the signs. But also on top of that, there was an investigation in the hospital that I was driving forward. We had an inquest. Um, so I had to drive, you know, th- there was an article two inquest, which is really, really torturous for anyone who's ever experienced that. It, I, looking back now, I do not know how I got through it, but I think Sean's place was definitely, you know, my saving grace. And there's a lot of people that I know now who have used their grief and their pain to create something amazing like Sean's place as well. And But for some people, that's not their way of dealing with it. Some people just need, you know, to find their own coping mechanisms. So we were in a bereavement group now with Sean's place to help those people to cope through the grief and just know that things will get easier and, you know, you can learn to live with grief. And, you know, tell me, you know, what advice would you give to anyone who's listening to this or knows someone who is, who's, who's potentially struggling with their mental health? It's, it's, this is the week that we, we recognize it's, it's International Men's Day. Uh, and that is very much focused and was created because of mental health problems in, 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 in young men. Um, but what would you say to anyone out there who thinks, oh, I can't, I, I don't want to lean in and ask for help. You know, I, I, I need to tough it out and do it over here. Yeah, that's not who I am what would you say what would you say to those those individuals or those individuals families who think that one of their loved ones might be at risk the one thing that I always say is I just wish that I had this you know I wish I knew then what I know now I feel like you know I know so much that would have saved my brother had I had that education so early on in, in my life I would say definitely look at a suicide prevention course. There's so many of them around. Even if you don't think that your loved one is considering suicide, it's just something to have in your toolkit. When you feel like you're banging your head against the wall, you don't know what to say, you don't want to make things worse, you don't know where to turn to. It might be that you are turning to places and you're not getting the answers that you need. You can at least arm yourself so you can do something about it to keep your loved one safe. There's also free apps like the Hub of Hope app, which is actually run by um, a, a local guy called Jake Mills. And if you type in your postcode or, you know, the person's postcode that you're supporting, the mental health services within that community will, will be listed. So you don't even have to do the hard work, but the app does that for you. And that's a free app called the Hub of Hope. And they're just two things that you will have in your toolkit. But also, if you are aware that your loved one's struggling, they are wanting to access support and you feel like you're banging your head against the door and no one's listening, don't take no for an answer. Just shout as loud as you can because you know your loved one best. You'll know them more than the professionals do and you'll know when something isn't right. So make sure that you just carry on banging against that door because someone will open that door eventually and you'll get your loved one the help that they need. Uh, thank you and we'll put uh, these links in the show notes as well so uh, there is information like you say there is information out there you're not on your own and can you tell us a couple of stories um the, the positive stories out of tragedy yeah massively we, we've got um there'll be 
there's two that I'll share with you. Um, I think one of them you just wouldn't, I think when people think about people who are struggling, they think that they must be on their own. They mustn't have no one to love around them. And, you know, that's why they're in the headspace that they are. But sometimes that's not the case. Like we had one gentleman who came through our door. He sent us a really lengthy email at first. Um, cause he just felt fraudulent. He was like, I don't know why I feel like this. I've got everything. I've got a wife. I've got kids. I'm, you know, really high up in my career. I've got money. I've got the car. He had the, the dream life, I suppose. Um, but he was still considering suicide and he was taking his families on holidays and days out and his families were living the dream. They were having, you know, an amazing time spending quality family time together, but he was actually m- making plans so that he could leave his family with memories for when he ends his life and his family had no idea. And um, it got to a point where one night he was particularly scared by that. He knew what he was doing. He thought, this isn't really what I want to do, but I don't know any other way out. And he came to us. He got went through some counselling. He, he you know, had a lot of support from us. He then went on to become a mentor at Sean's place and help others. And now he doesn't need us at all. And he, you know, his life, his family are having, you know, the, the time that they should be having quality time together for the right reasons. He's still really successful in his job and he's gone on to live his life again. But thank God that he decided to reach out for support that night because obviously the alternative is unthinkable. Um, so that was obviously something we were really proud of. We were really proud of him and his family as well. And then we've got another young man who come to us. He was our baby for a long time. He was the youngest one that had come through our door. He sort of got into the wrong crowd where he was living and thought that was the life that was sort of paved out for him. He didn't really have many family and friends and he found a group that he thought he belonged to, making really bad choices. But he knew that wasn't the life that he wanted. So thankfully he he found Sean, well, somebody else found Sean's place for him. They brought him to us. And for the first couple of months, he was so angry with the world. He was blaming everybody else for the way that he was. And, you know, there was no sort of like hope there for him. He just thought he was going to be this sort of, you know, typical sort of scally lad who was going to end up in the wrong crowd and go down the wrong path. But he then went on to become a mentor two years later with us. He's just enrolled in university and he's gone from living in supported accommodation to having his own place. And he's grown into a beautiful young man now and someone he can be proud of. And, you know, he can really see a positive future for himself. And I suppose not everybody will have them extreme stories. Some people would just need a little bit of a helping hand. But it does show that by reaching out for support, you know, your life isn't paved out for you in the direction that you may think it is that there is still always an opportunity to, to for hope, really. Absolutely. And please do reach out. Please do ask for help. Like I said, we'll have the information in the show notes that if you know somebody or you yourself are, are struggling in any way, then it's it's please do. Please do ask for help because there are people there that, that want to support uh, where you are in your in your life. Um, talk, let's talk about funding. It's a really, really big challenge, isn't it? Especially in making what you've done come to life. <laughs> How did you learn to do it? Yeah, I always say I feel like I've done like three PhDs in the last three three years. I've had to learn so much. I'm, I'm literally going to any job now and probably do it well because um, yeah, you end up having to become everything and doing something like this and I think that as I say in the early days I was not going to take no for an answer Sean's place was going to happen whether people wanted to support it or not 
um it wasn't there wasn't no alternative really so I made sure that I got myself in front of the right people I told them my vision and why I was doing it and thankfully there was a lot of amazing people who wanted to help so at Sean's Place we have about eight sponsors who are local businesses who sponsor us each month and they help to keep the lights on and keep the place warm so that we can open the doors and you know welcome people in in terms of bid writing that you know I'd just done a degree I graduated a week before Sean died and I did a business degree but it was almost like I was just grateful they let me into university I wasn't planning on doing anything with it I just loved the whole experience and I didn't realize that I was going to need them skills in the future I thought I was just going to live my life as it usually would but there was a lot of skills that I learned at university that probably helped in those early days and um, so I am grateful to John Moore's university <laughs> for putting up with me for four years I suppose you just never know you know where life's going to take you and the skills that you learn along the way you never think you're going to use them or you'll need them but you know they're always there to pull out the bag and um, thankfully I did have a few of them in my toolkit that I was able to use um, to help children's place get on that first step. And did you have any mentors or go-to people around you that you were like I literally have no idea how to do this I've got the idea I've got the will I've got clearly the passion. Yeah I did you know there was this in the, in the early days, there was a lot of community organizations, like there was a dance school, for example, that let us use their space for free to start off Sean's place. And, you know, there was, there was a lot of amazing people who were willing to give their advice and time. But there was a guy in particular called Lee Pennington who runs a charity over on the Whittle. And he was me, but eight years ago. <laughs> and he was there, you know, to let me pick his brain, to ask him questions, to learn about his mistakes and to learn about the things that, you know, if he could do it differently, he would have done. And that advice and guidance probably helped me to excel short place to where it is now. Um, I don't know if without that we would have been able to grow because I was stuck sort of in those sort of, you know, early days. I wanted to make sure that we could grow this into a full-time sort of service. And what's next for you and what do you need? If you'd asked me a year ago, this wouldn't have been the answer. But now uh, we've got a really good model assurance place and it's making sure that people can have free and immediate access to support. It's reducing waiting times for people and it's massively reducing anxiety and depression. So we don't want to keep this to ourselves like a hidden secret. We want to see this rolled out nationally now. So we're having those conversations with some amazing people around the country where we're looking at creating like the model assurance place across the country so that men, you know, have this place where they can go and get support at the time when they need it so we are definitely looking for that but we're going to need people to invest in this we need the healthcare professionals to trust us you know we've got a really good relationship with Mercy Care and they know with the value of Sean's place and they know that we can complement the work that they do so if there is anybody who works in the healthcare service that would like this sort of service in their community come speak to us and let us see how we can sort of complement what's already out there at the moment that is solely for men and it means that we can reduce people's sort of risk um, feel like they've got no option but to run the life because the model is working but we want to see this you know rolls out now so and it's that pay it forward that collaborative approach to this will will enable you to grow um reach more people save more lives debbie Honestly, it's been an absolute privilege to chat with you today. You are, I think it's an overused word, but you are, you are literally a true inspiration. And, um, I, I, you know, anything that we can do to help support and promote them, we will do. And anyone out there in the wider Northern Power Women community, which we know is super generous and super passionate about giving back, paying forward, please do get in touch with Debbie. Just that one small act of kindness, like, 
the dance studio, opening those doors. You just don't know where this is going to happen. Sean, your brother would be so immensely proud of you, Debbie. It's been an honour to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Simone. And thank you. As I say, you will put all the information around Sean's place. This is a, an amazing, an amazing organisation run by a two truly inspiring. Thank you so much. Please do stay up to date with everything that we're, we're doing. Please do pay it forward. Please do get in touch. One One hour of your time, one email of your time can make such a massive difference to someone else. So thank you so much. Please do keep the conversation going on socials at North Power Women on Twitter and Northern Power Women on all our other socials. Join us next Monday when I'll be joined by another wonderful role model from the Northern Power Women community. I'm Simone Roche and you've been listening to the Northern Power Women podcast, a What Goes on Media production. (laughs)